Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think of the prestige. No. Think of the respect. No, no, no. Think of the Tony. Hello, all you theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome back to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. We are currently in our Tony history and Tony prediction series as we gear up to the big June 11th day. Uh, and with me, oh, I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated and sometimes the most forgetful of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today is friend of the pod, alum of the pod. You know him, you love him. He's got a new podcast with Mama Broadway Podcast Network, Giants in the Sky, How Sondheim and the Pine Went Into the Woods. Please welcome back Ben Rimmelauer. Hi, Ben. Hi, Matt. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so happy to have you back. And so much has changed since you were last on the podcast when you did Pal Joey. I've been put on the Broadway Podcast Network. You're on the Broadway Podcast Network. You have a new podcast now where you've spoken to James Lapine and Howard McGillan and Joanna Gleason. I certainly have. And the funny thing is, as long ago as it was that we were talking, I think it I was already working on it. It just took a really long time. <laughs> well, so I've listened to the first three episodes because you just uh, dropped a whole bunch today after we've, yes. as we recorded. Yes. I listened to your first episode with uh, Senor Lapine, mm. book writer and original director of Into the Woods, and then Chip Zion and Daniel Furland. I got to say, Danielle remembers a whole bunch about that history, and it's why we love her. Love and her. I won't say which person is guilty of this, but there is one person where you give very, very well researched. You know what you're talking about. Like you give drop a historical tidbit, and someone you goes, "You texted me about this, and you're not the only one." It was yeah. James Lapine. I'll call him out. Oh, we'll call him out. We you're... were talking about the development of Into the Woods, how Ellen Foley played the witch uh, at the Old Globe Playhouse in their pre-Broadway production, and that she was the final witch in the Broadway run. And I know this, as many people do, it's verifiable. Now, we all know IBDP can sometimes have certain slight inaccuracies, but like they're not just blatantly wrong about things quite so like much. But uh, this was verified in a million ways. I have playbills from eBay with her name on the... I interviewed I think... her. I, I think there's even about her run. I think there's yeah, there's there's footage on YouTube from her brought from the end of her run. Hundred percent, comparing yeah. and contrasting how it was at the Old Globe, her doing the number, and then you know, stay with me on Broadway. And so, um, James Lapine gaslighted me and said that no, no, Ellen Foley never did it on Broadway. And I tried to give him like a oh well, maybe it's um just on I maybe she was like a just because you know sometimes IBDB will be like a real nerd about it and it'll be like replacements include and you're like that's not a replacement she did two shows when so-and-so had like laryngitis that's not yeah. a replacement, you know so I was willing to like give Mr. Lapine the benefit of the doubt 
but he wouldn't even let me have that. And of course he was dead wrong. And uh, the thing that my friend reminded him of was on, um, uh, I don't know if you, you're the person that would get this obscure reference on Larry King live when he had Donna Murphy and Mandy Patinkin around the time that passion opened on Broadway. Uh And um, Donna, of course, saying, you know, I read or wish I could forget you or whatever they were talking, but Mandy had just released some, his latest Sondheim solo album or whatever. And Mandy was about to sing, uh, I think Buddy's Blues, something from Follies. And Larry King goes, and and now Mandy's going to sing Buddy's Blues from Follies, Follies, big hit. And you just see Mandy go like, <laughs> just sure was sure was larry yeah so yeah. that's my inspiration well this is why I, I like your podcast and why you're sort of going through many different people who had different roles over the course of the show's life because no one person can really be an authority everyone's memory even if they were there can be faulty so really? for james lapine to say so to double down on no she never double down yeah. double down and it's like well james i'm sorry to have to tell you this you are wrong. You're st- yeah. you're boldly wrong. So I love that. So I'm glad that I'm not the only one because I was going to try to like beat her on the bush and be respectful. No, no, I've know. gotten so much attention. Honestly, James Lapine gaslighting me is the best thing that happened to my career in 2022. It's John Travolta saying Adele Dazeem. You well, are. Thank you. That is what it is. I am Adina Menzel. And on on the subject of flubs, we are going to transition yeah. into wonderful, brilliant segue. This listen. This is what I do now for a semi living. I to, from flubs to snubs. Ben and I are going to talk about some of our favorite, most egregious Tony Award snubs. People who were denied nominations that absolutely should have been. Now, obviously, the listeners are very aware that I've got two snubs that are in the kitty. They're absolutely going to have to be spoken of. I will do my best to talk about them for ninety seconds because we they've heard me talk about them enough. Yeah, but I will say the thing about snubs, and I don't know if you want to go into this, uh, you know, down this rabbit hole with me. But the thing about snubs is, for me, I try not to go too hard on them unless I can think of someone who was nominated that I would probably replace with the person I thought should have been nominated. And it's not to deny anyone their their acclaim, but it's sort of me going like, I think we could have. We could have switched this around. The, uh, the only thing I'll say for this year that I've been pretty open about is Sweet- the current revival of Sweeney Todd getting nominated for sound design, which is pretty unanimously unanimously agreed upon by fans to not be good in this production. And it's the one nomination where I'm like, Tony's, we didn't have to do this. We could have given it to Parade or Kimberly or some like it hot. Like the nominators even understand like what sound design is. Well, there's supposed to be a sound designer in that group to be like, Hey guys, this is what we should be looking out for. But apparently not. Apparently they just pissed all over the sound design and said, fuck it. But anyway. sound design is also one of those weird things where, like, depending on where you sit, you could think they did a better job or a worse job. Yeah. So, what by this, all I'm going to say is, the further back in history we go, the more comfy I will be in saying who I would probably replace, just because over the course of history, it's not like we can take away that person's nomination. It's less immediate. So, I've, but see, I've, I've, like I've got Clarence that. Thomas. You're already starting from the defeated point of view. There's nothing we can do about this injustice. No, the people have the power. We can make these things happen. 
Rachel Bay Jones, Pippin, I don't care that they gave her the award for Dear Evan Hansen. We can go back. I can go back and I can rectify this. Yes. This is how we uh, build that car in Back to the Future. What the fuck is it called? Oh, the DeLorean. DeLorean. I was about to say, it's not the Mandalorian, but it is the DeLorean. Not that. That's correct. God damn. Okay. Then why don't you start us off with one of your snubs? Well, I have already uh, said it. Rachel Bay Jones in Pippin, I thought was one of the most wonderful Broadway performances I've seen. And I actually, you brought up such a good point that I had been completely glossing over, which is who would you take it away from? And so I'm looking at this list that's Annalie Ashford in Kinky Boots. Well, the winner was Andrea Martin in Pippin. Mm-hmm. The other nominees were Andrea, uh, Annalie Ashford in Kinky Boots, Victoria Clark in Cinderella, Kayla Settle in Hands on a Hard Body, and Lauren Ward in Matilda. Now, I didn't see Matilda, and I've never been particularly a fan of Lauren Ward, but nonetheless, I would take it away from Victoria Clark. For Cinderella? Yes. Yeah. And I did see Rebecca Luker and how much... R.I.P. Mm-hmm. She improved upon not only that performance, but the production was elevated with Rebecca Luker in the role. I mean, we know how I feel about Vicky. I adore that bitch. Uh, but yeah, I probably would take it away from her too. If if I'm going to give Victoria Clark a sort of you took n- not much and you made it good nomination, if I'm going to give that to her, it's going to be for Gigi, a show that I liked less than Cinderella, but I thought Vicky did more of a miracle with that role. I am a Lauren Ward fan, partly because of Matilda. And so I'm glad you did not say I'm going to take it away from her. Yeah, I would I would probably take out Victoria and put in Rachel Bay Jones. I agree with that. I thought Rachel did such a wonderful job with the role of Catherine. That is a part that has often sort of blended into the scenery. And she really, really found a way in there that made it so funny and engaging. She did such a great job with um, Average Ordinary Woman. It's yeah, it was just, it was such a wonderful reinvention of the role. And I and I would have liked to have seen her get nominated. So, yes, we'll go into the Tony website and we'll hack it and we'll say yes, Rachel yes. Jones nominated. I mean, she uh, no, I want it to be legit. Matt. I don't want to see his technical savvy. I want this to be a seat change. OK, uh, honestly, fine. Victoria Clark, do you think she would care? Like if you go to her house and there's like her Tony for Light in the Piazza and like, you know, who knows? Maybe her Tony for Kimberly Akimbo. And like I, she has other nominations, doesn't she? Um, She's got Light in the Piazza, Kimberly Akimbo, Cinderella, Gigi and Sister Act. Um, OK, so like. She's got these two, like, what's the word? Flaccid nominations for Gigi and Sister Act. Is she really going to care if you take away Cinderella? Like, like. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. She- don't ask me to go inside the mind of an icon. I simply wouldn't be able to handle it. I think between the two, she probably be would be more willing to get rid of the Sister Act nomination. But that's, I think, just but based off of nothing like a dame. I think she had a worse time doing that show than Cinderella. But, but all the more that she should at least get a nomination for how she suffered. Exactly. You went through the the war, and here is your medal. There you go. You did it, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally. listen. I'm down for that. And okay. I think Vicky is by no means going to be mad at you for taking one away because she she if you even if you do, Ben, she can look in the mirror and say, "I'm still Victoria Clark," and that is enough for her and me. Um, I'm going to go a little further back into history. We're going to stay in this century for a second, okay. and I have two nominations that should have absolutely in the same category no less oh wonk yeah amy spanger and kiss me kate and sherry renee scott in aida 
Sherry Scott Onida is on my list too. Very, very important point. It's a, it's especially with Amy. It's especially snubby because she's the only principal of that production of Kiss Me Kate to not be nominated. Marin, Brian did not see that production. It was so I mentioned it for a second in the last episode, but it was one of the greatest productions I've seen in my life. I was nine at the time, and it still burned in my brain. And it's everyone. Amy Spanger. I loved Amy Spanger in it. It was her always true to you in my fashion was exceptional. I remember it so well. She was just so I don't know. Everyone in that show was was one of her productions. Yeah, you didn't think Nancy Anderson was better on the DVD. I mean, maybe I'm just competing with my nostalgic memory of Amy. What I liked about Amy was she did the the bimbo thing without being cartoony, which made it funnier to me in the same way. Like, Sharon A. Scott does that same thing where if she's playing somebody dumb, she doesn't play up the dumb. She plays up the earnestness. So the dumb actually is funnier. And that's what Amy yeah. did for me. Na- Nancy was a bit more sort of like, Howdy, bro, blah, which is not a bad take. I love yeah, that. Period. Take. Nancy, Nancy gives you like a gangster's mall. See, yeah, which and 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 Amy was a, a little different from that. And both are very solid interpretations. And Nancy is a, an exceptional talent. It was just Amy did was really great to me. And I mean, even I love if Amy, like in um, what do you call it? Uh, the wedding singer. She was mm. so good in that. Was. But I remember being disappointed by her in Kiss Me, Kate. And then seeing it again um, when Janine LaManna had taken over and like so much more. And then, of course, loving Nancy on the broadcast. I wish I had seen Janine LaManna do it. I'm You, you cannot be a gay and not love Janine LaManna, f- if only for the Maisie LaBert of it all. Not Maisie LaBert, Gertrude McFuzz, what am I saying? Yeah. Fuck me. Uh, but no, I, again, I should probably go to Lincoln Center Library and watch that kiss me kate again because i'm just i'm going off of a 24 year old memory but it was a that that season of seeing marin and amy and kiss me kate and then sherry and heather and aida was very formative for me uh and so i wanted i would like to have both of them in there and i would i would put them in over laura benanti and ann hapton calloway for swing Ah, uh, yes. I mean, that was odd that they were both nominated for that show. I mean, the Anne Hampton Calloway one is hard to argue with because clearly they were like, she's a huge talent. She's hardly ever, if ever again, going to be on Broadway. And so we should nominate her to recognize it, you know? Totally. Um, but then also like, and they've been listening to, as we all had, Liz Calloway and Hampton Calloway's album, Sibling Revelry, where Liz was bragging about her Tony nomination and they felt that Anne needed something for the sheep, you know. Yeah. But like, um, but Laura Benanti, it's like, come on, guys, she's gonna be in so many shows. You don't need to nominate her for swing. Like it, give Sherry the nomination. Yeah. I feel like it was sort of um premature because Laura had just come off of doing sound of music where she really kind of made a huge splash for a short period of time in that role and so young and then correct me if i'm wrong was wonderful town at encores earlier that year yes exactly yeah so it's sort of they were the same like theater season but i think um, it came up before swing well no because wonderful town was in may of 2000 but if there was the 2000 tonys then swing had to be in the fall of 99 Huh. Or, or, so, or maybe, so I guess she took like a week off to do Wonderful Town and then went back into swing. 
Was Swing still running at the Tonys? That's what Yeah, I'm Swing, I think, ran for a little over a year. Hang on. This is where IBDB comes into... I know. I'm just going to, like... I'm so old school. I'm like, well, we, there's no way to know. I'm like James <laughs> Lapine. I was, I, was, I was about to say, let's James Lapine this and just make up a history. Uh, <laughs> no, okay, so here we go. Swing opened in December of 99 and closed in January of 2001. Whoa! So I guess she... I, she might have left for good. She might have, but it was definitely May of 2000. I remember so well because um, I did not get to see Wonderful Town of Encores because that was the exact same weekend we were doing Sweeney Todd at the Philharmonic. Mm-hmm. And it was very much like the two competing like glittery concerts that week. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it that, talk about a jam-packed week because that Encores Wonderful Town was a huge deal as well. That yeah. was... Um, you know, that that really kind of rebranded Donna Murphy back as a comedic actress yeah. for the first time since before Passion. Yeah, it was May 4th to May 7th of 2000. You know, Laura, I, I, might, I would guess she went out of uh, swing for a week to do Wonderful Town and then went back in. And that was a, and without Wonderful Town was a huge deal. So, yeah. The longest, like, encores to Broadway transfer delay? I guess. Well, so because... It's like there five are years, right? Uh, four. It took four, four years. Yeah. Was well, how long was Apple Tree? Apple Tree, I think, was three. Mm. Yeah. Forgot about but, the Apple Tree. Yeah, Apple Tree and Wonderful Town probably have the longest, and then after that would be maybe like Finian. No, Finian's Rainbow was from spring to fall. Uh, yeah. It's a it's it's an interesting it's an interesting history. Point is, our point about all of this is. It sort of feels in this time that the Tonys are like, we are investing in you, Laura Benanti, and we yeah, are giving you this true. nomination for doing a solid job in a solid show, but it's more that you've done amazing work in two things we couldn't nominate you for. Oh. So take this nomination and run with it. Take this nomination. What's that? that uh, take these broken wings, some 80s power ballad. You weren't born. I- I'm famously very young. But but little did the Tonys know how many times they'd be nominating Laura Benanti after this. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's the thing. This we're gonna have honestly, like the Vicky Clark thing really depends upon her generosity of spirit. Mm-hmm. But like there's a decent chance we could convince the nominators in 2000. Like be like, look, Benanti's <laughs> gonna be in so many shows, you guys. And they'll do it. And they will do it, absolutely. Yeah, and it'll be like, and look how long it's going to take you to finally nominate Sherry Renee Scott. Do it now. Yeah, yeah, you uh, owe her. It's it's so stupid. She only has three, and one of them's for writing. I mean, they're all wonderful nominations. But I'm like, she should have five by now. She's- Give me another one, Ban. Okay, well, I mean, the one that is would been my go to off the top of my head always is mm-hmm. Anna Rada and Avenue Q. Mm. I mean, I must have seen that performance. 10 times mm-hmm. and um she was just i mean she's always so wonderful and it's so gratifying how her reach has expanded i mean like when people were sort of like memeing her for like her even before memes really but you know people just sort of fans were like kind of obsessed with her being on smash and it was like you guys it's a really small thankless part nobody cares like stop trying to make Anne Harada on smash happen like i noticed her too because like i'm a fan but like she's not one of the stars of the show you know but like yeah. now like it's like the prophecy has at last been realized with schmigadoon i mean Anne Harada is just like this like tv personality and 
and it's it's it still doesn't make up for her being not nominated when she was just really you know in some ways the heart and soul of avenue q and it's a really difficult role to make happen because it is the 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 Racial dynamics of it is such a fine line. You go too far in one direction and it does become racist. But it, the way that she was able to handle the comedy was really masterful. And it's one of those performances you don't realize how hard it is until you see someone else try to do it and fail. Yeah. Yeah. This was a di- I, I thought about this category, actually, because I thought of Anne Harada. I also thought of... Uh, Carol Shelley and Wicked, which is, you know, one of those performances that makes you go, do I want to nominate this or do I just really like Carol Shelley? Yeah. And but that's valid. You know, that is yeah. like, you know, why we um, theater. Yeah. And I wouldn't nominate her, but I do want to give a special shout out to Michelle Federer and Wicked for taking the role of Nessa Rose, which is such a nothing role and Remember. really just being special in it. Ugh. That original company of Wicked, Ben, they that cast was they had good actors in there. They truly did. Yeah. Although famously, I did not like Jill Gray in the show. Most of us did not. It took other wizards uh, for people to like. I think I saw George Hearn do it oh, after I wish Joel. I had seen George Hearn. I'm sure he was so great. He was. What I liked about Joel in the role, and it took me a while to recognize what made it kind of work, is that I mean, Joel Gray is just such a likable presence on stage. He's so impish and non-threatening. And so when you realize just how much of an evil douche the wizard actually is, it's hard. You you get conflicted because you're like, but this little tiny man, how can he be so evil? And it's he, he is. That's very interesting. You know, I I found him a little too ambitious, <laughs> smarmy, <laughs> but um, but I but that's a good angle. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's this is the Amy Spanger situation all over again for us. We're, we we keep coming back to these moments, Ben, where you and I just butt heads, and it's very mean and nasty and dirty. It's awkward. It's so awkward. How dare we have a very civilized conversation about our different tastes? We are such a good role model for America. We are. I want to throw out a non-performance nomination for a second, going even further back because this one is so stupid. I can't believe the Tonys didn't do this. What? Best score. Yes. They did not nominate She Loves Me. Stupid. It's stupid. They have no taste. They nominated High Spirits, the musical version of Blythe Spirit that no one talks about and no one knows. I mean, the Tonys, I I get hope... I, you probably know more than I do about the process, and I assume, like, with everything else, it's, like, been slightly, like, re-thought like in the last few years, which mm-hmm. is refreshing. But I feel like for so many years, it's just, like, old, drunk, deaf, blind, rich, white people who, like, vote for shows that they didn't even see. And, like, just, like, it's just, like political and like not based on actual like lived experience it is very tricky for sure i mean yes they have they changed the process of nominations in the mid 90s because it used to be on a ranking system and i don't and i think they every decade or so they expand the nominating body so it's less egregious voting who knows i i know a few tony voters uh, I've come to know some nominators from the past and present, and there are those who do try to lead with their taste, but they'll tell me their tastes, and I'll sit there and I'll go, mm-hmm. it's that Willy Wonka meme where I'm like, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, aren't they the league mostly? Pe- members of the league? I don't know. It's they the I know that they try to ex- they try to cover as many fields in the theater as possible. They try to have not That's- just producers but actors and writers and orchestrators and designers and and stage managers and whatnot. Uh, I think when you're a Tony voter, you stay a Tony voter. When you're a nominator, you only get three years, and then you have to wait like 25 years before you can apply again. Which I I appreciate that because I don't yeah. know how how that used to be. But this year, okay, this 1964 Tonys, our nominees for best big score, year. a very big year. They are Hello Dolly, Funny Girl, High Spirits, and 110 in the Shade. Hello Dolly, our winner. Funny Girl, no. 90%, 80% of a great score, 20% kind of clunkers. One ten in the shade, 100% a solid 8. I will let that stay. High Spirits can literally go fuck itself. And on top of all of this, I would argue She Loves Me has the best score of all four. I mean, I, I see how you get there. Like, it's hard to, like, argue with Hello, Dolly. But, like, um, but it's crazy that She Loves Me not is not nominated. But now, just Forgive my ignorance. Was Fiddler on the Roof before or after She Loves Me? It was after. See, that explains it. Because they're really just, it's such a club. And it probably was even more of a club back then. Because you look at, I was like, because in my mind for a second, I was like, wait, did like Noel Coward write High Spirits? Isn't that crazy? And then I looked, no, Noel Coward didn't write High Spirits. It was just based on the Noel Coward play. The mm-hmm. score was by Hugh Martin. And Hugh Martin wrote what, like the the trolley song and like Meet Me in St. Louis and shit. And it's just like some old person that they were familiar with. Whereas they're like, Bach and Harnick, who are these crazy kids? You know, two years, the irony is that two years later, they're like the biggest, like most like important Jews in theater history. But like, they were still just not accepted in the club then. Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm obviously we go in the historical context. Dolly, you can't argue with. It's the big hit of the season and it's critically beloved. Funny Girl, also a big hit. Not necessarily critically loved, but everyone agreed that the score was strong. Bach and Harnick, they at least had Fiorello under their belt. They had that, that musical win in Pulitzer, but it wasn't such a ginormous hit that they were in the big leagues. Fiddler is really what made them A-list. But and she not me- A-list, but commer- I mean, Fiddler on the Roof, that score is like a a populist score. Yes. Fiorello is like, you know, little tin, little tin box was not covered by, yeah. Uh, Patty Duke. No, <laughs> no, but, but I mean, she, I, even historically speaking in that context, she loves me was super beloved by critics. And you would think that they would try to bolster it at the Tonys and they did, they got a musical nomination, but it didn't do as well at the Tonys that year as it should have. I mean, Barbara Cook wasn't even nominated for Amalia, which is crazy to me. Crazy to me. Yeah. Well, I've, I have another Barbara Cook in here mm. that we'll get to in a second, but I mean, the leading actress in the musical category back, it's still only four. They don't expand to five until I think the year 2000. And looking at the four nominees, I, I do wonder who I would kick out because we have Carol Channing and Barbara Streisand, which you can't, you cannot argue with that. No, uh, Inga Swenson in One Ten in the Shade. That's a, Lizzie is a major, major dramatic role, and I I do love her singing in that. And then Beatrice Lilly is just it is an icon coming back on Broadway in this big yeah. musical, and from what I understand, perfectly cast. But yeah. Barbara Amalia is just it's such a killer role, and Barbara Cook, you know, it's uh it's it is difficult to to figure it out. But, you, but that one's a conundrum. But the score thing is kind of dumb. Like yeah. 
they because they do get nominated for musical they get nominated for featured actor for jack cassidy who wins uh hal prince does get nominated for director they get nominated for i mean am i allowed to say i don't like 110 in the shade you're allowed to say that i don't love it i like the score though like i what i mean like old maid like i don't like that it just seems like a lot of like soprano yelling you're not wrong but she is angry i liberty gibbet no that's one of the cut songs what's i love i love simple little things i love is it like a little like leslie ann warren duet yeah i I would just throw that whole thing in the river (laughs) ben is coming in with the hottest of takes and i'm not (laughs) mad about it (laughs) on that note let's take a quick break. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. You're the nimble thread of the And we're back. Okay. Wait, can oh. I just say you're so smart to do a break and then you put the ad in there? Yeah, that's how I have to do it now. I'm like going through being like, I guess I could slip the ad in and nobody will notice. Like, Well, that's how I started it because I kept forgetting that I should take ad breaks and I have to do the ad breaks. Be- and the audio quality of an episode changes based off of how I'm recording it, whether I'm doing it on Zoom with you or if I'm doing it in a studio or, or in person at my home. The audio quality changes. So when the commercial comes in, it can either be uh quieter than the episode or much louder than the episode so i want to give the listeners fair warning that it, that it, uh, commercials come in through You're and yeah and i don't know if you've listened to any episodes since i've started doing the podcast on bpn but my transitional music into the commercials is patty lapone and anything goes billy i back to dip with you you are the top it's a great tribute it is although maybe after this year i should go into the forbidden broadway i'm magnolia blah yes what are some of your favorite forbidden broadway sketches ben well i treasure all the patty lapone ones obviously mm-hmm. but maybe if i had to choose one among all the patties um well, my, I mean, it's hard to argue with that Christine Petty Patty class thing with like the extended sequence and all that. And she's so brilliant in it. But I Thanks. really. Hey, Andrew, it. thanks for the swimming pool. It's so good. You shot Mr. Mistopheles. Oops. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but I, and it's, but, but the best Patty impression, I think, is Tony DeBuono in that Anything Goes one. And that, that whole volume two that has Cheetah Rita. And Mandy is so, but also that 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 Forbidden Broadway Strikes Back that has the Patty class has the Barry and Fran Weisler. You're the one that we want for the revival of Greece, like infomercial, mm-hmm. and uh, the Donna Murphy and uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, the King and I um, is so genius. Uh, shall we boink? And um, what's the other thing I'm obsessed with on that is the oh the Mandy and Bernadette. It's two parts. It's the Mandy and Bernadette so miscasting Kiss Me Kate mm-hmm. and then the Liza and Jerry Lewis so miscasting Kiss Me Kate and it's just all gold. Those it are is. It's My great. Goal. I'm a really big fan of Forbidden Broadway cleans up its act with the Titanic medley with mm-hmm. the ragtime sequence. I also love the Matthew Bourne Swan Lake. 
Oh yeah, the Matthew Bourne Swan Lake was so. I remember seeing that like at the theater, like in whatever. Where I guess it was at the not the um the where the Stardust downstairs from where the Stardust Diner is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was I forget what the venue was called. I think they literally called it the Stardust Diner Theater or something. It was very specific. I just remember seeing that and like laughing my ass off. And it was also, they were really hot. It was like Daniel Reichard and like Ed Stottenmeyer and they were Mm. wearing tutus. Yeah. Wearing the, the similar Matthew Bourne Swan Lake outfits. It's, it's just so good. I I love so much of that Forbidden Broadway cleans up its act. I also love the Jekyll and Hyde one and the way they pitched Jekyll and Hyde, which is you want to see Les Miserables, but you can't pronounce the title. You want to see Phantom of the Opera, but Phantom is sold out. So come see the new show that's just as dimly lit. <laughs> Spot on. So good. Um, moving on. Okay, so I did my She Loves Me. You read 110 in the Shade for Filth. And luckily for you, 110 in the Shade's probably never coming back to Broadway. So you don't have to have that awkward interaction with it at a at a oh, party. Wait. I'm so lucky. All right, give me give me one of yours, babe. Okay, I mean, I hate to just go to my like top take, but I feel like I just want to get into it because working on my podcast, Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and the Pine went into the woods, I have just come even deeper into my already lifelong love and appreciation for Chip Zion mm. in everything, always. But really, I mean, just iconic as the baker and. Maybe one of my favorite male musical theater performances in history, not nominated. It is a shame. The Baker has always been an unsung role in that show until recently. And he is well, so good in people it. Who, I mean, the revival had, you know, Neil Patrick Harris was great. Brian Darcy James was great. Sebastian Arcellus is amazing. But um, but it's been badly cast. I mean, I do not mind telling you that Dennis uh, O'Hare in the park was a disgrace. Sure was. I hated that revival in general. I loved that production. I thought Dennis O'Hare and Amy Adams were garbage. And um, just to be shot in the dark alley somewhere. And uh, and I love Stephen DeRosa, but I did not particularly like him in Into the Woods. In the- no, I mean, I that revival of Into the Woods I, has a special place in my heart because it was my first time seeing it live. Mm-hmm. And being as young and impressionable as I was, the design of it was very impressive to me so i liked it at the time but as i've gotten older i've become less enthused by it and he is one of them but yes uh, speaking of that original into the woods daniel furland for featured actress in a musical is one of my snubs especially because she was nominated uh for precursors before this and then didn't get in uh at the tonys wait nominated for precursors for like drama desk and i think outer critic circle oh, oh listen to you with the lingo let's uh-huh. get to this 1988 tonys so um looking at danielle and featured actress um you'd think it would actually be the other way around because to be nominated for featured in the drama desks she had to compete with joanna gleason mm-hmm. but joanna gleason was bumped up to lead for um the tonys so that should have made it easier for danielle to get a tony nomination not harder but she, they gave two, I mean, this is ridiculous, two nominations for featured actress in a musical in 1988 for the revival of Cabaret with Jill Gray. Allison Reed as Sally Bowles, who like, I know she's famous now from like High School Musical, but I think we all remember how bad she was in the film of The Chorus Line. Sure was. I do not believe she could have been any good as Sally Bowles. There is a full video of that revival on YouTube. You can watch it. And I have to? These- 
you do not have I've to. already stated Jill Grey. Yeah, yeah. You do not have to watch it in any way. She's not bad. She's perfectly fine. It's just that whole revival. Marvelous. That she's not perfectly marvelous. That whole revival is just a museum piece because it's Hal Prince preserving his original. It's Hal Prince had a grudge because the movie version came out and was such a sensation, and everyone just assumed forever that was Cabaret. And so he brought it back in the eighties to be like, everyone remember that I did this first, and it just is not. It wasn't as interesting. I mean, also like I, but I do stand Regina Resnick. I mean, just on that City Opera Night music video as Madame Marmalade, so I will not quibble with her. No, she should be in there. Also, Sally is a leading role. It's not It's not a featured performance. Well, but that is like, I mean, the Tonys has been such a hot mess about who's a lead and who's not a lead for so long. It's like- Absolutely. Um, and then I guess Lelevi Kumalo and Serafina, I don't have any information to say whether that was deserved or not deserved. No. I, we only, I only have the Tony performance where she doesn't sing. She just stands there and smiles. And it's a nice smile, but- yeah, of I of the four I would pick. Of course out the winner Alice. was Judy Kay, who, you know, uh say what you will, and I've said it, but she was good in Phantom. She was good in Phantom, and that was that was a it sounds crazy to say because she was still in the midst of her career, but it was a bit of a career win. It was you couldn't we didn't get to nominate you for on the 20th century. You've been around now for a while. Everyone loves you. You're in a big old hit. And this is such an easy thing to give you. And you can tell that that's how everyone feels. Because when Nell Carter announces her name and the audience cheers for her, you'd think that she was, you know, tearing up the boards as Carlotta. And it's more that that Phantom is such a big hit and everyone loves Judy Kay. It was the two things combined. I will say that year they, it's a, it's a killer best actress year that year. It's Patty, Joanna, Judy Kuhn, my Kuhnsie, and Alison Frazier for Romance, Romance. That foursome, i I could fuck with that foursome. I mean, when you think with the fact that those four women beat out Bernadette Peters in Into the Woods and Sarah Brightman in Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. not that like any great love is lost over Sarah Brightman's performance in Phantom. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like we all have a lot of different theories about why Bernadette wasn't nominated, but just the fact that that was the field and these were the nominations. Yeah. I mean, but Chip Zion, who yeah. did he not get nominated in favor of? Obviously, Michael Crawford won. Scott and... Bakula for Romance, Romance. I'm going off the top of my head, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Scott Bakula for Romance, Romance. Michael Crawford for Phantom. Uh, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Uh, David Carroll for Chess. Who, by all accounts, was everything. Yeah, I mean, that voice singing anthem, Here We Are. Here we and are. then who's the... F- oh, I think Howard McGillen for Anything Goes. Yes. So, I mean, my take and Alison Frazier would not appreciate me saying so. Although maybe she would because she is a Chip Zion old timer. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Scott Bakula, get out of there. Yeah, probably. The thing is, a lot of these nominations, you wonder how much changes when if we expanded it to five 20 years earlier than we did, you know? Yeah, that uh, would some of, some of my snubs probably would be in there in the For 90s. Sure. For sure. I mean, like, uh, yeah. Although Chip Zion also not not nominated for falsettos, which is stupid. Who was that year? That that was the year of Crazy for You and Jelly's Last Jam and Jelly's Last Jam. Yeah. So I know that uh, Jonathan Kaplan for falsettos was nominated for featured. I mean, he and he was wonderful and not just a kid actor. And I'm such a fan of his. Although he left the business, so really they should have it elsewhere. But um, who were the other? 
nominations. Well, so we, okay, he would have been featured. Yeah, it's whoever won, I think, won for that two piano revival of Most Happy Fella. Yes, Scott Wara for Most Happy Fella. Jonathan Kaplan for Falsettos, like you said. Bruce Adler as Bella Zangler in Crazy For You. No, bitch. No, that's and, a that's a silly one. Silly. And Keith David, Jelly's Last Jam. Okay, fine. Um, they were like, yep. if we nominate Keith David, we can bring Ben Vereen into the part later. <laughs> they were already thinking ahead, weren't they? They're smart. Yeah, yeah no, but put Zion in there Bruce for that. Bruce Adler, work with me, people. Yeah, come on. So every now and then there's a nomination that I just go, really? You know, it's always like... <laughs> It's a double-edged sword because we're always saying, think outside the box, you know, be creative sometimes with your nominations. And then they do. And you go, really? That's how you use your creativity card? Fail. I mean, also, like, but I almost feel like with Chip Zion, he's so, like, um, iconic doesn't even say it. It's like, there's something about him that feels so, like, origin story and, like, definitive, like, of, like, like that you just he sounds like he already has a few Tonys. Yeah. Like he's actually bereft of Tony nomination. But you hear him and you're like, oh, that old veteran for sure. He's got him. Yeah. Ne- never had a Tony nomination. And in fact, there was like a 10 year, maybe 15, 12 or 15 year gap between Broadway shows for him. I think between Falsettos and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Maybe that's it. He, there was a long period where he wasn't on Broadway and it sounds crazy because he's just been around forever and been a part of so many beloved works that you would think, as you said, that he'd been recognized by now, but he hasn't. There are quite a few actors where that hasn't happened yet. And it's it's time. Luckily, Harmony's coming down the pike and I have Did my feelings think- on that show, but he is absolutely fantastic in it and will get nominated. I am sure. Thank God. It's it's happening. It's got to happen. Um, Speaking of featured actor, I do want to give a quick shout out to last year's Tonys and say uh, I'm so happy that John Andrew Morrison was nominated for A Strange Loop and I would absolutely keep his nomination but I want to add one more nomination for that category for A Strange Loop which is James Jackson Jr. who to take the line oh so you think you're too good for AIDS and Mm -hmm. make it such a powerhouse comedy line that man is incredible and should have been nominated. Incredible. James Jackson Jr. is so brilliant. Did you see White Girl in Danger? I didn't. I'm going to maybe try to rush the matinee on Saturday. You have to. It's so bonkers and brilliant. And he is absolutely inspired. He just kind of lurks in this like barely featured role through like the whole show. And then mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil it, but he comes in at the end and is just yeah, like earth shattering. Yeah, I'm gonna I, either uh, tomorrow Friday night or Saturday afternoon. I'm gonna I'm gonna try because it closes this weekend, and I I would like to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not gonna say who. There's there are five nominees there. I agree with some of them, and I don't agree with all of them. And I will say James Jack. There is room for James Jackson Jr. in that category. That's all I'll say. Is there room for James Jackson Jr. to bring a friend? From Strange Would Loop. you get rid of two people from this category? I mean, if I'm being honest, I could probably yeah. get rid of three. But, <laughs> but, 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 yes, I would be. There's another. So James from, Jackson Jr. can bring his parents. James Jackson Jr. can bring his cousin if he wants <laughs> yes, to. Yes, yes. No, um, there's another actor from Strange Loop who I would have had no problem uh, putting it. What's what's his name? Antoine he. Hopper. 
Hmm? Antoine Hopper. Uh, well, first of all, any of them, really. I would have no problem with any of them. Antoine Hopper, uh, Jason... Uh, yeah, he's great. But also, um, God, what's his name? John Michael Lyles, also oh. fantastic. Were, he does yeah. such a... I love his voice when they're doing the grinder number, Exile and Gayville, and he's like, looking for a gym bud? Uh, top if it goes there. His voice on that is so incredible. It, it, I think it's funnier when you see him, too, because he's so, like, a pocket gay, and he's mm-hmm. so, like, pretty and cute and, like, twinky looking. Yeah. And when he lets out with that, like, like scary, like, two octaves down voice, it's too funny. And then he does the agent, too. He goes, you've got a great opportunity, especially for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That company of Strange Loop is just oh, fantastic. That's such a great show. Yeah. Um, uh, well, okay. Speaking of featured actor in a musical, I'm mm-hmm. just getting scared. I'm not going to get my chance. So I've got to get him in there. And this is not just because of the boxer shorts. And it is not erased by him later winning for Moulin Rouge. Aaron Tveit and Next to Normal. Okay. <laughs> no love from you. We all know how I feel about T-Vite. I will say, him in Next to Normal is the best use of him I've seen in a show. <laughs> I really love the way you used Aaron today. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's that's the best thing I can say about it. Uh, I am not a fan of what he does, but many people are, and therefore, I am in the small minority, and I have come to accept that. I, I don't I'm begrudge sorry. him any of his success. I would success. like you to say more. No, I just don't find him to be super compelling on stage. I don't find much emotion from him in his work, which is why I think Next Normal is a great use of him, because he's not playing a person, he's playing an ideal. Yeah. And that is, rather than me saying, oh, the work you're doing is great, I'm more like going, that's a great casting of him mm-hmm. to make him this figment of an imagination. Just on a stripper pole in short shorts, just mm-hmm. like shimmying and shaking and high belting. I mean, it's not conflate memories here. He's in the short shorts and then he goes on a pole, but he's fully clothed on the pole. I am definitely conflating that. Um, and I but have those to say, I saw time. his replacement, and uh, the show actually worked better without the distraction. I mean, the replacement was gorgeous and talented, but he. I think that Aaron has a star presence that uh was almost too big for that role mm. i cannot confirm nor deny that i know actually no, i did see kyle dean massey in the role as well and kyle yes. was also very good i i remember aaron in the show and he was a bit of a moment in the show yes. and yes, it, was it was a shock that he wasn't nominated for a lot of people the fans were very devastated and so they were pleased <laughs> that they showcased him on the tony awards i Stalker Channing showcased him. Stalker Channing. Well, also their their Tony Tony performance. They did that trio with the three of them and didn't include Damiano, which was a shame. But I thought he was very good in the show. I did not. I have not found him as compelling since. And wait, have you watched the video of him doing mine hair? Yes. Only once. <laughs> I watched the first ninety seconds <gasps> and then I stopped. Have you ever seen a straight woman at a gay bar? <laughs> Have I ever seen a straight woman at a gay bar? That is honestly the vibe I get. I get very yachts queen work. I know of drug race. It's giving me very everyone on the team of Bad Cinderella has heard of Pink Flamingos. No one has watched Pink Flamingos. 
and they say to you, aren't I serving you pink flamingos? That is the vibe I get from Tiva doing mine hair. And that is the nicest way I can describe it. And I don't want to go any further because I really don't want to be too mean. Okay, to put a cap on Aaron, for all the- Aaron's- I don't begrudge you this snub, though, because I do think that this is a worthy nomination. Thank you. And for all the stands out there that are traumatized by Matt's um, disdain for him, I just want you to know that I love him enough for me and Matt combined. If you take my love for Aaron Tveit and split it between two people, we would be two huge Aaron Tveit fans. And let me also be the first to say- I don't know the man personally. I'm sure he's wonderful. And also, if he does a performance in the future that changes my mind, I will absolutely say, holy shit, this changed my mind. I look forward to that day. That has happened to me with performers before. I have had shows and performances where I was not a fan, and then I saw them in a whole new light with something yeah, else. And I went, oh, like, sure. fuck me sideways. Absolutely. Um, actually... Um- this is not Broadway, but Catherine Hepburn. I used to not be a fan of Catherine Hepburn. And then I watched her in uh, Philadelphia Philadelphia Story and then Summertime. And those two back-to-back changed my mind on her. So here we are. Here we are. And here we stay. Here we stay. Um, okay. you One for you now. Oh, no. You, you, did, you did your right, second, your next one. Um, so let me actually do a combo of the same show, but two different categories. Speaking mm-hmm. of the year 2000. It is the Michael John Lacusa Wild Party, and I want to put in for Best Director, George C. Wolf, and Best mm. Orchestrations, Bruce Coughlin, because I am never going to not stand George C. Wolf, and the orchestrations for this Wild Party are bonkers incredible. Boots the house down. Yep. And I can tell you who I would replace. I would replace Lynn Taylor Corbett for Swing, not because for I... God's sake. God's sake. And then I uh, would replace Doug Besterman for The Music Man, for orchestrations, because... I think that the Music Man revival orchestrations are fine, but I don't like that they add percussion for Rock Island. I I want Rock Island to be a cappella and then get into the music. Having or, uh, percussion gives them training wheels. And I say, no, this is Broadway. You sink or you swim. Can I ask a personal question off topic? Of course. How did you feel about the Music Man revival? This most recent one? Yeah. Do you want me to be brief but kind of bitchy or do you want me to be a little more thoughtful and longer <laughs> both <laughs> one at a time brief and bitchy it was the most impressive high school production i've ever seen mm. that is how i felt on the most recent music man if i'm being a little more thoughtful and longer everyone knows i adore sutton foster give me jane howdy shell into my veins there's no one in that cast who i dislike and very few in that company who I didn't, whose performances I did not necessarily enjoy. I just did not find this last revival to have much invention or creativity to it. It all felt a little paint by numbers. I mean, it was big. The cast, so talented. So like that big ensemble singing fucking, you know, Iowa Stubborn sounded glorious. But I don't know. Like I think back on that 99 Kiss Me Kate, and even though it wasn't necessarily a reinvention, there was a modern energy to it that made it feel sparkly and new. And this just didn't feel sparkly and new to me. I didn't need it to be a reinvention of the music band. I just wanted it to feel alive, and it didn't feel alive to me. I I can't disagree with that. Yeah. But I mean, I went with my 99-year-old grandmother who said it was one of the best things she'd ever seen, and... I did turn to her and I say, I know the things you've seen. And I can tell you this is not one of the best things you've seen because you saw Gertrude Lawrence in The Lady in the Dark. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, also, you've said it well when you said that it's not that you didn't enjoy it. Because, like, even this, like, 
off key, like figure, literally and figuratively, Music Man mm-hmm. was still. I, I had a great experience watching it. It's sure. just that I just have so many notes. Yeah. That's the thing is it's very rare that I see something that I truly detest and have nothing nice to say. Even things like the opposite. I usually am miserable. I genuinely had a good time at the music man. I just thought it didn't, it did the music man dirty. There's plenty out there. I haven't liked Ben. I'm just saying it's very rare that I see a Broadway show and I'm like, absolutely nothing that I can say about it. That's good. Tear it to shreds. Even if I don't like it, I can look at certain things and see I and say, I see what you're trying to do here. This is where I feel like it doesn't succeed. Uh because it's just so hard to make a show in general and it's hard yeah. to get a show done. But you, you know, this was this was just a production that I was like, it's perfectly fine. It's I don't think it's great. I don't think it's bad. It's just there's fine. a difference between a show that is there's a difference between a show that you think works or think has issues versus a show that you there's two different it's a different thing whether you enjoy your experience of watching it Mm -hmm. versus whether you sort of think it's good or from for me anyway and there's no set barometer it changes per show even if something is messy but fascinating that to me is more engaging than a competent dullard you know I mean, honestly, even something like um, like the Hello Dolly revival, intellectually, I had so many qualms with. Mm-hmm. But I saw it so many times, and every time I was ecstatic for the entire experience. You know? Yeah. I yes, I had a weird experience the first time I saw it, but I came to really love that production. The first time I saw it was with the entire company and Bet, and it was the night before the Tony Awards. And the response was so enthusiastic and I felt a little bit like I was part of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was like, yeah. I'm not sure if I think everything that's happening on stage is worthy of this much yeah. for you. But then I saw it about a month later with Donna and really enjoyed it. And the and response was so much love. Well, so yeah. yes, it was the theater was half people. Sorry, who, it was half uh, it was half a theater of people who were there to see Donna and half a theater of people who were pissed off because they couldn't get in to see Bet. And yeah. so the response was started off like okay, but the cast had to work really hard to get everyone in the theater to the level they got with Bet, which yeah. they did by the end of the show. And I also finally understood the joy of the title song because watching Donna Murphy come down those steps, knowing what had happened in her life and how she was going to retire from the stage. And I just started crying. I was like, she's rejoined the human race. I get it now. It was so stupid. And that's what it's all about. It's all about, but this wild party, I just want to say this George C. Wolf. There's very rarely a moment where I think he shouldn't be nominated for director of whatever the fuck he's doing. This one in, in particular, Bruce Coughlin for orchestrations, get it in there. Yeah, that's all. That's that's all I got to say. Well, piggybacking on the George C. Wolfness of it all, my list includes Leah Delaria in his production of On the Town in 1999, mm. coming from the park the summer before. And um, I mean, you know, Leah has dined out on that performance for decades. And um, it, I don't know why that wasn't a hit. That on the town? Yeah. Well, I didn't see it just from the reviews that I read. And I talked about this, I think, 
Yeah, Peter Dushan and I talked about this in like quote unquote times that Tony's got it right or wrong. And what I got from the reviews was that critics didn't love it in the park. They were sort of like, this is fine. And then when it transferred to Broadway, everyone was sort of confused and felt that it actually got worse at the Gershwin. And so in addition to it not being as good, they were like, this wasn't amazing to begin with. And you've made it worse. Like, what are we? Because it was a new choreographer and all this stuff. Um, but George well, Seawolf, I, I mean, he re- park, so I have no comparison. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it in either place. But George Seawolf, you know, he's he rarely shits the bed. Even when something's not as good as it should be, there's something to it that's fascinating. I mean, like Gary was such a messy play, but it was so interesting and often oh, very funny. 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, I, honestly, I, the only thing I can't forgive is being bored. And I was bored at 110 in the shade. Lord in the river. Lord in the rain. I listen, I I hear you on that, but the Audra doing a, a cartwheel with no hands. Yes, God. Boots house down, honey. Um, ooh, okay. So I've got three featured actresses in a musical that I want to talk about for a quick second in succession. Bing bang boom. Bing bang bing bang bong sing sang song. The most recent being Loretta Divine and Dream Girls, which is stupid to me she being the only dream not nominated this was the year yeah this was the year of the three nine women and laurie beachman so okay let's this is a very who do you kick out so i i really had to think about this no i'm gonna cry well it's it it is a sophie's choice is it not one might call me the meryl streep of this podcast no i call you the nazi guard (laughs) Because I don't have to do this, but I'm choosing to do this. (laughs) I am the Nazi guard here. So we have Lillian Montevecchi, who's the winner. Yes. Which was a bit of a surprise because everyone thought it was going to be Anita Morris for the same show. Now, say what you will about Lillian Montevecchi, but nobody would have mentioned winning that Tony as often as she mentioned having won it. It is true. We also have... uh, as I said, well, we do have Anita Morris uh, for Carla, Karen Akers as Louisa in Nine, and then Lori Beachman for Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Now, oh, was Cheryl he, nominated in leading category? She was nominated in leading, yeah. Wow. In, which is interesting. Beyonce uh, would never have happened if Cheryl had been in featured. This is, this is true. And uh, Cheryl will let you know that every time she lost her dream girls. Love her, love her. Love her. Listen, singing doesn't pay the bills. The one I will kick out, and it kills me to do this, Ben, and just know this is no slight to her. I would kick out Karen Akers and put oh, in Loretta Devine. Oh, I picked right. Poor Karen Akers. I hate to see this happen to her. I don't know whether I agree or don't agree, but the important thing is you didn't take it from Lori Beachman's cold dead hands. God damn, no, I would never do that. I'm not a monster, Ben. I'm just a cunt. I don't know you. I don't know your life. No, Lori, first of all, Lori Beachman's that's a nomination in itself. And also just being the female narrator because it was a male before her. Yeah, and not as good. I mean, even Patti Lapone says a nice thing about Lori Beachman. She says, she was such a nice lady. <laughs> I mean, it's the only woman I've ever heard Patty not speak ill of. It's true. It's true. Pa- or just in general, Patty, 
especially after all these years later like give patty like five or six years after being around someone and she'll find something nasty to say it's what we love about her but yeah she's what's what's there negatively to say about Lori beachman she does a great memory she's, she's really bad at not dying from cancer mic drop i fully threw my mic on the ground and walked away from Listen, the podcast. I have, I have I have separation anxiety. I have insecure attachments. I have abandonment issues. And Lori Beachman should have been here. I needed her here. I need her now. The roles we could have had from Lori Beachman. No, and we can't put regret- it that way. There were no roles. There were no there were no roles. There were no roles. We were denied performances from if Lori. Lori Beachman were alive today. She would have no more Broadway credits than she has. I don't know about that. She what that she woman. What? What could she have done? Well, how old would she have been today? Uh, the... Like 68 or something, 71, you know. Okay. So. Like Randy Graff age. Okay. Uh, she could have done. She could have done a lot. She could have done a lot of. She could have followed Marin in a lot of her roles. She Marin have... in what? She, I would have seen her in Kiss Me, Kate. I would have seen she her do. have that voice. Yes. Well, she was in the fucking Pirates of Penzance revival. There's clearly some soprano up in there. No, those were all Linda Ronsat's keys. And then she was singing like like alto part in the chorus. She couldn't have sung like so in love in head voice. Well, they lowered it for Carolee. It was already low for Marin, wasn't it? Well, it's a low song in general, but they lowered it even further for Carolee. Because, you know, Marin has that has that sort of mix that's not even really a mix it's just sort of like a hard break from chest to head yeah and it's it but, comes right after the uh, after c but carolee still kind of did it in like a head voice like i don't think laurie really like laurie's head voice was like for like an occasional you know to be like what it was that like where she's like uh the what's that song on her time between there she's like she's like because we both know what we're she's like we both know what we're going through like she doesn't have it like in a head voice well i guess we'll never know what she would have sounded like now will we ben we never will no but yes that's what i would put loretta divine in over karen akers and i i am sad about it because i do love karen akers and nine her voice is so thrilling on those songs truly was she nominated for grand hotel she was not See, then they would have owed her a nomination for Grand Hotel. And surely by 1990, 1991, whatever year it was, they were. Yeah, that was the year. So that was Randy Graff in City of Angels, Krakowski for Grand Hotel, Krista Moore for Gypsy, none of whom I'm kicking out of bed for in that category. Who would be the fourth that year? That's the question, ain't it? Yeah, it is. Hang on one second. 1990. We have ourselves. Kathleen Rowe McGallan for Aspects of Love. Get her out of there and get Karen Akers in there. And I'm like, I'm an Aspects of Love queen. Okay. That is my like penultimate Andrew Lloyd Webber show as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, I still, I do not. Maybe Anne Crumb deserves her lead actress. That was special. Kathleen Rowe McGallan, she was probably very good as Cinderella in the national tour of Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. But I do not think she brought anything special to the role of Julietta Trapani. I mean, at the very least, Anne Crumb had to sacrifice her foot to the set of aspects of love to get her nomination. If for no other reason. If for no other reason, no. And she also died, which, you know, should get her something in this world. Absolutely. Kathleen McGallan... Get her out of there. Put uh, Karen Akers in there. Get Karen Akers out of the nine category. Put Loretta Devine in there. Bing, bang, boom. 
Uh, my my oh. next one, going a little further back in featured actress in a musical, is Chita Rivera in West Side Story. Oh fuck yes! I mean this, we really this. this I mean, you is there any greater omission? I know it's it is truly the number one uh, of all time because it is first of all the the most living legend we have right now on Broadway, one of the top the legends of musical theater in general. This is the role that launched such an amazing career that she is still associated with. It is an iconic role in an iconic show. She did not get nominated. Carol Lawrence got nominated for playing Maria, which is one of those. It's one of those weird Tony trivia bits where. Maria is one of the roles in musical theater that every time it's been on Broadway, the actress playing her has been nominated. Uh, If we don't count the Eva Van Hoffe production, which ended up not being eligible for awards for the gas leak Tony year, because I don't think enough nominators got to see it before it closed. Oh, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But also, like, we now appreciate how hard Anita is because every single revival, we're all like, well, blah, blah. Exactly what are we comparing it to is our dream of how Cheetah was. Exactly. What's so crazy is that it's Rita Moreno in the movie is what starts the narrative of Anita is the role. Because once Rita wins the Oscar, Anita never goes denied ever again. She either no. gets nominated as Debbie Allen, she wins as Karen Olivo, she wins as Ariana DeBose. Wait, did but Debbie not win? Debbie, no. Debbie and Joe and... uh uh, Josie de Guzman both lost to Priscilla Lopez for Dane Hollywood. Dane Hollywood, God. yeah, I know it's a weird win, but also like I'm gonna give it to Priscilla because she lost to Kelly Bishop in a chorus line, which that's a win I do agree with. So yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the thing though. This is like the Tonys are just constantly borrowing against future. It's like they owed Bernadette the Tony from Sunday in the Park with George. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have had to give to Cheetah for the rink if they would have given her the Tonys for you know. West Side Story. Yeah. Several other shows, but they owed it to Bernadette. So then they had to give it to Bernadette for any Get Your Gun, which meant that Carol Lee didn't get the Tony she should have gotten. Exactly. It's the domino effect is crazy. Very rarely is there a moment. And this is why you should listen to the Peter Deshan episode where we talk about when they do get it right. Times where it's like it just sinks up and you go, you chose right, Tony's good way to go. This win has stood up to the test of time and one more year prior oh and uh so first of all carol lawrence should have been in lead but this is in the time where like, if you're below the title you were featured maria is the leading role of that show there's also two women for the musical oh captain that were included and i'm like get one of them out of there uh and then i don't know if this is the same year was candy the same year as west side story or was it the year before I think it was but let me see because Ca- candy opened before west side i think but but I mean, Leonard Bernstein's take two new musicals. I'll never write one again. Bye. Yeah. Okay, bye. I love that mic drop of uh, Leonard Bernstein. No, Candida was the season before. I knew that they were close together because uh, he kind of kept going back and forth between the two. Candida was being written and then they lost funding. So he went on to Westside and then Westside lost funding. So he went back to Candida and then Candida finished while he was finishing Westside. It was all, all incestuous. But so going back the year before West Side. Oh, and also this was the year we had fucking five nominees for featured actress in a musical and we couldn't include Cheetah Rivera for West Side Story. Jesus Christ. 1957. Four featured actresses in a musical. Edie Adams for Lil Abner, who wins. Virginia Gibson in Happy Hunting. Uh, Ira Petina for Candide as the old lady. And Joe Sullivan Lesser for Most Happy Fella. Missing is Barbara Cook and Candide. Wait, Joe Sullivan Lesser is nominated for Featured Actress? Yeah, I'm guessing because since she wasn't above the title. 
Oh, right. But see, but like, that's the lead. And also Barbara Cook and Candide was the lead. Was the lead. But even so, either way, just... How do you not nominate Barbara Cook for introducing the world to Glitter and Be Gay? And, like, was so burned by the flop of it all? Wait, say that again? Happy Hunting, wasn't that the show that was so bad Ethel Merman was, like, scarred for life? Yeah, Happy Hunting was the show that was so bad that when Sondheim was hired to write music and lyrics for Gypsy, Merman said no, no uh, untested composers. He can do lyrics. Now, here's an interesting question to ponder. Mm-hmm. If you were king of the world. In my mind, I am, but yes. Okay, so would you want to take that score away from Julie Stein and have Sondheim write it? No, I think that was a case where it all fell in the right places. I think I'm with you. Absolutely. it's. I mean, it's the best Julie Stein score, and I don't think Sondheim was at a place with his talents where he would have been able to give that show what it needed musically. It wouldn't have been Follies. It would have been Saturday night. Yeah. He was still in that. He was still figuring out exactly how he was going to work as a composer. He had talent, but it wasn't quite up there. He would have been trying to talent. Not what I call talent. Deaf, dumb and blind. Maybe when he says so himself, like with Saturday night, he was trying to mimic Frank Lester. He was trying to mimic Julie Stein. And it wasn't really until after forum when he really started to experiment with what he wanted to do. Also not nominated, right? No, not nominated for forum, which is a shame because those lyrics are pretty damn good. And I think comedy tonight is a foolproof opening number. Foolproof. Yeah. But I mean, I just, with Barbara Cook and Candide, I'm sorry. Like just if you're in doubt, y'all, listen to her glitter and be gay. It is, in my opinion, still the best version of that song. It is oh, the hands down. It is so purely sung, but still so dynamically sung. She yes, sings all yes. the H's on the ha ha ha's. It's there's yes. an attitude to it that's glorious. It's glorious. Phenomenal. Oh God. And doesn't get nominated for the hardest song in the world. But what was what that show was not very nominated besides your patina. What were there other they um, they were nominated for musical and some other stuff. I mean, Candy did not do well, as we know. It became a it's the definition of a cult hit that they did the cast recording yeah. and theater fans all fell in love with it. And then eventually it sort of found its way because of the overture. But it was nominated for musical. It was nominated for featured actress in a musical. It was nominated for, I think, scenic design. No, maybe not even scene design. Costume design. Irene Cher. This was back in the time when designers would be nominated sort of for their yearly work. So Irene Sheriff was nominated for Candy, Happy Hunting, Shangri-La, and Small War on Murray Hill together. And then they were nominated for conductor and or music director, but they lost to My Fair Lady. Mm. Oh no, Oliver Smith was nominated for for Candide as well. But I mean, like, for Candide, for Andy Mame, for Clearing in the Woods, for Eugenia, for my uh, uh, visit to a small planet. I mean, yeah. But then they, but they, he really wins for My Fair Lady alone. So I'm like, what are, what is this? Yeah, what is it? Oh, I, that's so interesting and weird. I didn't, yeah. Yeah. What an, uh, what an odd thing. As odd as the Tonys are now, Ben, they used <laughs> to be odder. They used to be odder. <gasps> um, did we take a second commercial break yet? We didn't. Okay. On that note, let's take one more commercial break. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. You're the nimble thread. And we're back. Okay. Uh, 
I am going to I've 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 leading been leading you on the dance floor for a while now, but I want to do one more category and then I want to pass it off to you because I'm going to do another one in quick succession. Okay. Leading actress in a musical. I got three. Woo. Most recent, Kristen Chenoweth in the Apple Tree. Mm-hmm. Which, despite how people felt about the revival, I thought the revival was quite nice. But I didn't I, see it and I regret it. Yeah, it was a it was a solid revival. It was better at encores, but it was still a solid revival. And she was definitely like she made it. I had a chip on my shoulder because I had seen her in on a clear day at encores, and it mm-hmm. was so bad, and she was so bad in it mm-hmm. that when the apple tree was in encores with her, I stupidly was like, "Oh, this is another Barbara Harris role. She's gonna suck. It should be a belter." And mm-hmm. then so I didn't go. And then when it was on Broadway, I was like, "I said I'm not going," you know. <laughs> I said what I said. Yeah, Apple Tree was a much better fit, and also Apple Tree is just a better show. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's it, it was so it was so delightful encores, and it was still good on Broadway. But something kind of went missing. But she I'm was still great. She's one of the great, great musical comedy talents of all time. I can't believe I sat that out. I, it's she is truly gifted in that respect. And I probably would kick out Deborah Monk in curtains for this, and put Deborah Monk in featured actress where she belongs. Uh, my next one, going a little further back, is <clears throat> Miss Sally Murphy in Carousel. It had to happen. Had to happen. If it and same thing with Michael Hayden in Carousel. If it were yeah. five nominees this year, they both would have gotten in, no problem. That said, it's even at four, it should have been both of them. I love Dee Hody, but her nomination for Best Little Horror House Goes Public is stupid, and I think even she would agree with us on that. Should have been Can Sally Murphy. Sidebar that for one moment because, uh, and I want to come back to Sally and Michael. But one of the craziest things in the world to me, and certainly one of the craziest things in Forbidden Broadway, mm-hmm. in Forbidden Broadway strikes back in the Elaine Stritch parody, which is genius. Christine Petty as Elaine Stritch singing to the tune of Zip mm-hmm. Stritch. There's one lyric which I always thought I surely was just not understanding the words because there's no way it could be what it sounds like. I found out now that it is. Um, it's... uh uh once my Broadway credits towered, um, I did shows with Noel Coward Stritch. I was venerated. I was classy as D. Hody. Now I always play a throaty bitch. I've degenerated. So funny. But the fact that D. Hody made it into that lyric blows my mind. It is very inside baseball. And that's why we love Forbidden Broadway. It's a, even for Forbidden Broadway, it's pretty inside. Like, it's so bizarre that that is the word. Also, I mean, I guess we all just know Dehody is super classy. She's she's a tall, thin bitch and knows how to stare you down with the iciest of eyes. I don't think actually I don't even think that Forbidden Broadway ever did a parody of this carousel. They mention it in their parody of King and I, but mm-hmm. not yeah. in negative terms. They they say let's do what worked well with Carousel like for Brit- King and I. Like the British did with Carousel. carousel yeah. yeah, let's make the text over sex like the British did to Carousel. Thank you. I saw this Carousel and I had never seen the movie mm-hmm. and I was obviously I grew up on Rodgers and Hammerstein but I think my grandparents had always skipped Carousel like it was too dark for kids or something. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I was just blown the fuck away. It still remains one of the best productions I've ever seen and I was so in love with Michael Hayden, like domestic violence be damned. Well, and yeah. The, Sally I, Murphy was just heartbreaking. And of yeah. course there, listen, we're not going to go off too much on it. On it. I, I actually went on a very large tangent about it two weeks ago with my episode of PJ Adsima, where I talk about 
how what that show's actually saying and how that production understood that so well. It's why that production's so incredible. But yes, that it would not have soared as much as it did if it weren't for Michael and Sally. And they should have been recognized. Uh, and I can also say Michael should have been in there over Terrence Mann for Beauty and the Beast. And I love Terrence Mann, but that nomination, no ma'am. I would have kept Boyd Gaines for She Loves Me. I would have kept Victor Garber for Damn Yankees. I would have kept Jerry Shea for Passion, even though I don't love his performance. The Sondheimite in me is like, let's keep the Passion nom. Uh, but I will put Michael in over Jerry if I had to. Interesting. I yeah. mean, also like... With Terrence Mann, I mean, obviously he's so brilliant, but you do kind of wonder, like, if some of the replacements might have been better fits. For me, it's just a nomination where it's like, I know we love Terrence Mann, but is this really a performance of his that we think is recognition worthy? You know, I can I can grant us Susan Egan. She's new on the scene. She's a bright, shining ingenue. Gary Beach, we love. It's his first nomination and he's a big scene stealer. But like. Terrence Mann under all that padding it's with such a bland role in my opinion I don't yeah. think that's necessary whereas Michael Hayden just vibrant and sexy and also heartbreaking and won a theater world award got nominated for a drama desk like it was he should have and so should have Sally my last they were meeting- also shitting on Michael Hayden at the time because they wanted Robert Goulet kind of a voice and yeah. it was really they treated Michael Hayden and it gives me no pleasure to say this like he was Glenn Close in Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. and he sang beautifully. He was a wonderful singer. He just wasn't like a big, like hammy, like bellowing, you know. It wasn't an operatic baritone sound. He has sort of this very light Irish tenor and it sounds good. It's just perfect. not what it we're, perfect. it's not what we hear for that role. It was um, so unfair. I mean, it was like, it, it was very unfair. It, but it just pisses me off the way they accept Glenn Close at Sunset Boulevard and then dismiss Michael Hayden in Carousel. And and I'm so glad you said that because it's the same group of, and I hate to be hateful to my demographic, but the same group of caddy theater gays that really tore him to shreds about that and then praised Glenn Close. And I'm like, I'm sorry. No, absolutely not. Kindly sit the fuck down. I, I mentioned this before with Natasha Diaz and I may be on another episode, but like I was at uh, a gala a few years back with all these, you know, prolific backstage behind the scenes gays of theater. And I mentioned Carousel, and I mentioned my love of this revival, and they all go, oh, well, you know, the Billy couldn't sing. And I said very loudly how they were all wrong, and that was a stupid take, and that they could essentially go fuck themselves. Uh, Good thing. Yeah. I said, what they all want is, they want Gordon McRae, John Raitt, they want the they want the quarterback in high school that wouldn't fuck them on that stage dying in front of their eyes. And I'm like, that is stupid. He was a breathing human being with a gorgeous voice. That aside, moving on. My last leading actress in musical nomination, and I don't understand how this didn't happen, Stephanie Mills in The Wiz. Whoa. Not nominated at all. Not even for featured. Okay, who who were the others? We have Bernadette for Mac and Mabel. God we God. have Angela Lansbury for Gypsy. Of course. Uh, and this is back when it still was four, although I believe leading actor in a musical that year had five nominees. So I'm like, why not just expand it to five for for these gals? Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Lola Falana for Dr. Jazz. I'm and proud to say I'm too young to know who that was, but she was sort of a big deal I'm made to understand. Lola Falana? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it is there is it brings diversity to this group for sure. It's out of all these white ladies and then Anne Ryan King for Good Time Charlie as Joan of Arc. 
I'm just sitting here going, I'm sorry, we've got the hit of the year with this tiny dynamo of a of a babe. Yeah. Singing for her life and and was in the show, I think, the entire run, too. I mean, and the revival. I mean, and, and just one of the performances I wish I had seen. I mean, you listen to that album. I mean, that is up there with Patty in Evita. It's like just one of those like vocals that is just untouchable. Yeah, Lori her Bittman, Nell yeah. Carter, Andrea McArdle. I mean, people don't sound the way they sound. Obviously, no, they. It's 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 such a unique voice. It's such a glorious, glorious. Yeah, gl- yeah. It's such a glorious I mean, thing. Stephanie Mills. No matter how strong and belting she is, her voice is always like just, just gorgeously, just so exquisitely beautiful. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's tender, it's brassy. She can do all the all the emotions, all the things. I mean, her her home is still the best home. And it, be a lion, as uh, soon mm. as I get home. It's it's oh. a so and that's a show like that she does have to carry on her back, you know, at such a young age. So impressive. What do you think about these shows like Funny Girl and The Baker's Wife and The Wiz? Um, and Wicked, where the leading ladies act one song, The Soon As I Get Home uh has the same ending as her act two song like it's that like when i meet the wizard and defying gravity like mm. i'm the greatest star and don't run in my parade like what is that i don't, i think it's sort of old musical theater motifs kind of thing we're sort of like we're bringing a back full circle in a very subtle way but i don't know i don't know i think it's it's one of those chemical reaction things you know I don't, I feel like they kind of give it away. I wish they wouldn't do that. I feel like with as soon as I get home and home, it is it does musically connect. And they also that one is early in act one and then end of act two. So enough time has passed that you maybe don't remember it. Uh yeah. Funny Girl, Random My Parade and Star, I don't think they end with the same music, but they end sort of in the same structure, right? Yeah, they don't end with the same music. It's and it's the um what is the thing that's the same in them? Uh, oh, it's the uh, uh, da, 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 yeah, da, yeah. Uh. I guess that's acceptable. I'm yeah. being a little too broad. Yeah, it's it's her it's her it's her motivated motif. It's Fanny's yeah. motivated, y'all. That's yeah. her. Yeah. And then May Miz said, "Let's take <laughs> that idea." Yeah. All right. Give me give me one of yours, sir. Well, John Cameron Mitchell in the Secret Garden. Mm. What the fuck, y'all? Who I else mean, was nominated that year? That's a good question. It's a real good question. I, I mean, isn't that like the like Will Rogers Follies bullshit? It's Will Rogers Follies, Miss Saigon. Oh, you know who Miss Saigon took up two nominations that year? Oh, because Hinton Battle won. I mean, was he that brilliant? Well, look at the four we got. Another Bruce Adler nominated two years in a row, y'all. Ew, ruining everything. <laughs> Fucking Bruce Adler. I'm so sick of this shit. <laughs> And yet everyone's mad at me for politely <laughs> saying why I don't enjoy Aaron Tveit. And you are just going hard in on Bruce Adler. I think like you just have to punch down is all. And Bruce Adler's also dead. Well, you have to punch six feet under. Um, truly down as far down as you can. I'm okay. I mean, Greg Berg, Burge, Berg. Oh, Willie Falk. Easy. Everybody hates Willie Falk. He only got the part because he was sleeping with Nick Heitner. 
Oh, is that true? Or Cameron McIntosh. He was sleeping Probably with someone. I want to say Cameron McIntosh because I want I have no problem shitting on him and I don't want to shit on my beloved Nikki Heitner. I know that Nick Heitner started dating one of the chorus members of Carousel, but that was once the show was running and he wait and he waited. But well, yeah, I mean, maybe he was fucking Willie Fox. I don't know. I don't know his full life, but he doesn't say anything well, about it. Give it up. But I mean, I yeah, he did not. Come on. No. Although. I mean, I love that song. I'm such a whore for Miss Saigon. I used to shit on that show when I was like a cunty little like middle schooler. I would sure. just be like, oh, Miss Saigon, the lyrics are so banal. And like when I went to see that revival, prepared to be a hater, I just loved it. Every minute of it. I feel like it's partly because all Broadway musicals suck now. So it's like I had higher standards in the early 90s than I am like now I'm just so desperate to have something that's like coherent with like good melodies mm-hmm. and so i loved it i went to see it three times and, and i was really in love with alistair whatever his name is that played chris uh-huh. but everyone that's ever sung why god why has sung it better than willie falk it's true i mean you only see i think 10 20 seconds of him in that tony performance of like the montage they do before american dream and he's pretty dire in it it's yeah. it, he's a charisma vacuum it's only because yeah. Leia Salonga was so nice that he got away with that. Like, any, if Patti Lapone had been the original Kim in Miss Saigon, she would have had him fired. Yeah, she, she would have thrown something in his head and be like, why aren't you giving me anything on stage? Yeah, no, absolutely take him out and put in John Cameron Mitchell for Secret Garden. Or honestly, who's Greg Burge and OK? The fuck is she? And what is Those Were the Days? Bruce Adler, we stand you having two Tony nominations, but what the fuck is the show you're in? Now, you know, I'm first in line to shit on Bruce Adler, but I mean, really, the thing about Willie Falk is not that I want him to not be nominated. It's that I want someone else to play Chris and be nominated. Sure. I just don't like that role. I think that role is a douche and a half, but that's my kind of guy, though. Well, then we should probably get you to therapy and talk on that. Yeah. Listen, we've all we've all had our douches and a half and they take your heart and they break it. And luckily, we turn it into art. That's. We don't make like Kim and kill yourself in the end. Make like, uh, you know, like Matt Coplick or Carol King and turn it into tapestry. (laughs) I'm so here for your bio musical. Oh, my bio musical is going to be great. No one's going to know what to do with themselves. Um, Okay, I have another one. Oh, this is such a random one. And I don't even know how much I stand by it because I didn't even see the original production. But Dorothy Loudon and Noises Off. I just, I have, I can't, I can only imagine how brilliant she was. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Right, so who, who beat her for that? That's 84. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, Deborah Rush was nominated for the same show. For Dorothy could have been lead, couldn't she? She could have been. Although when Andrea Martin got nominated for it, she was nominated and featured as well. I feel like it's such an ensemble show. It's difficult to categorize a lead. Uh, Christine I mean, Baranski, Christine Baranski won for the real thing, which I'm not going to take that away from her. Joe Henderson in Play Memory, which I know nothing about. Those words all sound made up. Yes, exactly. And then Dana Ivy for Heartbreak House. And I'm I, the only reason I'm going to say Dana Ivy is because she was nominated again that same year for Sunday in the Park with George, so she can't afford to get rid of one. I know, but the fact that she was in a play where her character's name was Lady Utterwood, <laughs> I just kind of need her to keep it. If ever there was a Dana Dana Ivy role, it's Lady Utterward. I say we take it away from quote unquote Joe Henderson in this alleged 
play memory um in the role of ruth mcmillan it sounds made up it's all made up it's scrubbed from the internet it was yeah that's a, a ai wrote that chat, <laughs> what is it chat bot bot yeah, yeah. gpt what fully an ai nomination yeah i think that should be another episode is looking through all of the tony awards and just seeing which ones are fully ai nominations not real, not real. bruce adler's nomination that we just talked about i, I can't even remember the, what the title was oh yeah it was it, what, what was it? it those were the days bruce adler and those were the days as various characters fully oh, an ai nomination so- oh that's a song you dumb hotel stupid stupid Kevin Coulson in Aspects of Love as George Dillingham. No. Sure no. Not real. Not real. Uh, give me another, sir. Do you have any more? I do. I have two more. Okay. The one I'm, uh, I stand behind last. But I would start with Mandy Gonzalez in In the Heights. Okay. As featured or lead? I mean, I would say lead, but is that... Um... I feel like that says more about me than the role, but to me, that character is really the because Usnavi is the narrator, he feels less like the protagonist to me, and I feel like it's her story. It is, it is very much her story, and I don't think I realized how much it's Nina's story in the musical until I saw the movie, and they took away so much of her stuff. Yeah. And changed so much of her narrative that I was like, oh, so much of the heart is gone now. Uh did I nominate Mandy? I don't know. I remember being No, I'm a no, I'm a fan. First of all, that voice is you know, send that voice overseas to war and it will destroy everything yeah, in its wake. You. But I don't know. I was never not super loving her performance that year, but I'm also trying to remember who was nominated. That was the year of Patty or Gypsy. That was the year of Kelly O'Hara. For South Pacific. Right. Um, Jenna Russell for Sunny in Park with George. I can't deny any of those nominations. Terry Butler for Xanadu. I will not deny her that nomination. And then... Faith Prince for a catered affair. Right. That I happened. Mean, I thought Leslie Kritzer should have been nominated for a catered affair in the featured category. Um, Faith was not bad. I wouldn't take it away from Faith. I mean, that, that show was not good. Mm-hmm. I do feel like Faith should be nominated for everything she ever does. But I do think that with the nomination, they should be like, you know, this is one of your freebies, right? Like, <laughs> like, we like you, know, you know that this is your, this is your, we love you, Faith. Yeah. Nominations. We love you, Faith. Um, God, it's, it's, it's hard to take away from, I mean, if I'm being honest, this is no one's listening to this, right? It's just you and me talking. Yeah, I have absolutely no listeners whatsoever. I'm a fan to a point, but I did not like Kelly in South Pacific. Mm. I mean, first of all, it should have been a belt. Honestly, I'm not the biggest Sutton Foster fan, but I thought Sutton would have been great in South Pacific. Mm. And I thought Kelly was wrong. Wrong. So I will say, I'm also a Kelly O'Hara fan to a point. This was still the period of her career that I thought she was pretty fantastic. And there was a period in her career where she kept on getting cast in roles that people were like, she's not going to be good. And then she actually would be good. 
It just it's it happened repeatedly. I thought that in Bells Are Ringing at Encores, I mm-hmm. thought she was brilliant. But South Pacific, she did not do it for me. South Pacific, she did it for me. Where she kind of first started not doing it for me was Kiss Me Kate. But that's another that's that another story. Was so bad. But it like was. I loved her in. Uh, well, my theory is that Kelly and Laura should have switched with Laura doing the camp of Kiss Me Kate and Kelly doing the like vulnerability of She Loves Me. Open oh, Nancy. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. That Wait, well, it was well. So first of all, it was supposed to be Kelly O'Hara in that she loves me, and then she chose King and I instead, and then she loves me. And we all know that. what a bum decision that turned out to be. be. Uh, no, for a second I thought you were meaning Laura Osnes because she replaced Kelly in South Pacific, and I was like, yeah. no, yeah. no, I need someone on stage who's capable of actual showing emotions, not <laughs> on stage, not a carb devoid robot. Thank you. I actually thought Laura Laura Osnes was incredible in Cinderella. I loved her in that. I thought she was very charming in Cinderella. And actually, she wasn't bad as Kelly's replacement in South Pacific. I'm just mean towards her because I don't think she's capable of much more beyond Cinderella. And I got very angry when Bandstand happened and everyone's like, where's her nomination? I'm like, because she's showing no emotion on stage. She's showing. In fairness, I don't think anyone should have been nominated for Bandstand. Same. But, you know these things do happen wait so we were trying to figure out how to get who a nomination right now <laughs> the oh, person you thought was snubbed mandy gonzalez is how there get mandy gonzalez in this featured category um we have um how do you say her name from passing strange she was brilliant uh daedra aziza i think daedra aziza yeah she was so good she needs yeah. it keep um, andrea martin young frankenstein she should be nominated to everything she does mm-hmm. um Olga Meredith's Meredith's and Meredith's yeah, for in the Heights. Loretta Alvarez was great in South Pacific, and Laura Benanti was really good in Gypsy. So it, there's not really space for Mandy. I see how they got where they got. Yeah, but I it kills me. No, I've said it. I would take it away from Kelly. It's for me. It's simple. Mm-hmm. It's it's simple little things for Ben Rimmelauer, everybody. It's simple nomination we take away. And, th- and that is what she wrote on that. Speaking of the Lin-Manuel Miranda of it all, mm-hmm. I've got a featured actor in a musical nomination that I would like to uh, correct. Yes. Isaiah Johnson in the 2016 Color Purple as Mr. A role that is near impossible and yet he found a way that production five stars across the board 1000 percent. and i would take away a hamilton nomination here because we have three hamiltons we have christopher fitzgerald for waitress which i would not take away and we have uh brandon victor dixon for shuffle along which i would not take away either agreed Agreed. tell tell me to take away a shuffle along nomination and i will punch your mother in the face not you your mother you can punch uh, my mom as much as you want, but I'm not taking any nominations away from Shuffle Along. And that's and that's that's why I'm not going to punch your mother. But I would take away Christopher Jackson for Hamilton here because David Diggs was really charismatic and and yes. compelling and just a force on that stage. And yes. j- while Christopher Jackson had a larger role than Jonathan Groff in Hamilton, I found Jonathan Groff made the most of his 10 minutes on that stage. Yeah, honestly, Christopher Jackson, that was like a fan favorite, not a real thing. Because we like him, you know, and he's talented. He's good. I just don't think Washington is 
the role that people thought it was. Even yeah. when he was doing it, I didn't think it was the role. And yeah, they're trying to make Washington happen. It's not going to happen. Instead, get Isaiah Johnson in there for just really totally. doing a miracle on that on that piece. It's and did John Doyle win for that? No, um, Thomas Kale won for that. I mean, that's understandable, but yeah. honestly, they should have tied because, like, I mean, I'm such a Hamilton fan, and Thomas Kale clearly was like an instrumental part of what made that brilliant in every possible way you could define that. And Hamilton deserved to sweep the way it did. But, like, I saw the original production of Color Purple, and I thought, this is a piece of shit show. Mm-hmm. And then that revival, I've never seen a revival make me go 180 on a piece yep same 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 it's why it's one of the best revivals of all time because it does exactly what a revival one of the many things a revival can do it did so perfectly it also just makes you understand how much john doyle's phoning it in on all these productions where he's like look at the instruments they play instruments and you know and chairs because there was all the chairs in this in this color purple too but it worked so well yeah. And then he uses it on so many other shows since then. And you're like, oh, not as good. But it's just funny because, like, I mean, John Doyle is probably the director who about whom I am the most schizophrenic. Because when I when he gets it for me, he really hits that spot, you know? Yeah, like, no, absolutely. I'm, like, as soon as I don't like one of his shows, I mean, this is not even really so much me, but it's everybody else. It's just like, he's one hit wonder. The, bit, the gimmick's getting old. And then... The thing is, though, like, then he comes out with these productions. And, and, and I don't say that stuff because I can be a cunt. That's just not the brand of, of cunt that I favor. Sure. But, um, but, but, I, but I will agree with them in my heart. And then, um, but then he'll just blow me away like he did with the color purple. Yeah, that's sort of the thing is, again, the T-vite of it all I, I feel this way now, but like catch me in the right moment when they do a certain thing and I will change my mind and I will, I will always acknowledge work that I find to be good. Yeah. I'm not, I am never so stuck in my ways that I refuse to admit when someone's doing something good who I didn't like before. Yeah. I'm, I'm always just waiting. I go in every time being like, is today the day I changed my mind? And sometimes it never happens and sometimes it do. And I remember with John Doyle with color purple, it had been a minute since he had done something that everyone was really compelled by. A lot of people were, were divided about what he did with the visit and yeah oh god i mean i don't blame him i just hated that boring show yeah i don't like that show but even people there were people who loved the visit before he got his hands on it and they were like oh well he ruined it he made it 90 minutes and and so stark i'm like i don't know making something shorter is not necessarily a terrible thing but there there were people who loved what he did. So I don't know. I I feel like Color Purple was a second chance for that show and a second chance for him. And really, you know, it was just such a powerful night of theater and that I saw three times. I I loved it so much. Yeah. yeah. I would have liked to tie there. But at the very least, Isaiah Johnson in there for featured actor, give it to me, honey. Mm. Um, that's the end of my list. And I'm sure okay. there are others I could have done, but that's all I have for now. Me too as well. Wonderful. Well, Ben, this has been delightful. You're a delight. You're always a delight. Uh, where can people find you if you want them to find you? Well, they can find me on all social media. I even reactivated my Twitter, even though it's a hellscape. I'm just mm-hmm. Ben Rimmelauer everywhere. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. 
I think I spelled my name wrong, but you know, whatever. I will spell it correctly for the episode. Don't you worry. Ben Gay, Patty LuPone, um, and uh, and Giants in the Sky is on Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, Mama. Our 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 mother, Broadway Podcast Network. They say, "Call me Mother," and we say, "Yes, Mama." If you like this podcast, please give us a nice five star rating or a little review. As I've been saying lately, you guys have really been killing it with with the reviews. I've been recording the last couple of episodes in a row, so. Even though this episode's coming out two weeks after we record it, I won't have anything new to read. That doesn't mean you guys aren't writing the reviews and I'm ignoring them. It just, it hasn't happened yet. Daddy just, loves you. Da- Daddy loves you. Please, if anything, I'm a step aunt. Your step aunt, Matt Coplick, loves you very dearly. And that's it for now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. Uh, we need to close out with a diva today, Ben. And we're now at the stage where we are willing to do repeats. Who should we close out with? today i think the diva to close out today is got to be someone who was ignored for a tony award we need to give her her due and i think it should be um uh, cheetah rivera i am down for that let's give miss cheetah rivera our closeout since she didn't get the goddamn nomination for west side story yeah so check us back next week wait let me check when does this episode come out this will be coming out. Uh-huh. Okay. So after this episode, we will be doing a final Tony prediction winner episode on June 8th. Cause this will be coming out on June 1st. So check us back for our final predictions of the Tony awards and have a great rest of your week, you guys. And that's it for now. Take us away. Cheetah. Bye. One of your own kind. Stick to your own kind. A boy who kills cannot love A boy who kills has no heart And he's the boy who gets your love And gets your heart Very smart, Maria, very smart A boy like that wants one thing only And when he's done, he'll leave you lonely He'll murder your Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.